Um, okay, well, let's start here in Hebrews. Now, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27 today, so you can also put your finger there if you would like. Um, Hebrews is uh, a good intro to this chapter, and we're going to get there in just a second. Um, just as a brief overview of Genesis chapter 27, this is one of the most um, I just lost the word. I'm getting to be an old man. One of the most dysfunctional chapters of family relations we see in all of Scripture. And that's saying a lot, right? I mean, we've read some really messed up stuff with Lot and his daughters. But this chapter is filled with all kinds of interactions where the Holy Spirit has saw fit to record a lot of details behind these interactions. And as we see this chapter unfold, it's filled with tremendous amounts of deceit and lies and jealousy, and ambition, and complete faithlessness, people driven by fear, and anger, and malice, and even murder. And it is just one depressing verse after another of the depravity of man. And what's unique about this chapter as well is we don't hear the voice of God in this chapter whatsoever. And it's a really strong contrast. Without the voice of God, without his truth, we see the result, which is this massive snowball of sin. And as we see the sin that was uh, planted in the lives of these individuals, it begins to come to fruition. And it's like this little snowball on top of a mountain, right? And it rolls and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's this massive avalanche. And so we see the, the beginning of um, some of the sin that was uh, sowed, that was uh, planted to the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. And we're going to see this destruction in this family, which leads to a family being torn apart, and it was completely unnecessary. And so this is a really, really heavy chapter that shows how dysfunctional we are when we choose to follow after the flesh and all the works thereof, rather than contrasting this with where we saw Abraham at the end of his life, a few chapters earlier, where he was just resting in the promises of God. You know, and this is where we need to be resting in God's promises, resting in his word, resting in the work that Christ accomplished at the cross and his resurrection and still continues to do as he's before the right hand of God and there seeds for us, right? So he has the words of life, life, where else should we go, like Peter said? So we rest in the words of life that Christ gives us. Now, having said that about this chapter, let's look at a commentary that the writer of Hebrews brings us, and one of the characters that we're going to look at in depth here in Genesis chapter 27. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed, and strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. This is a call that we're to do, to, to strive for. In Timothy, the Bible says we're supposed to pray for our leaders who are in authority over us, that we may live peaceably among all men. And this is the same theme here in Hebrews, we're striving for peace. Because in chapter 27, we're going to see striving for conflict and angling for, for money and, and, and blessing, so-called blessing, which really comes out to be nothing more than just the fruits of the flesh and all this power. So it's completely opposite to this. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up 
and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So that no one is sexually uh, immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And we're going to look at this in in detail shortly. Now go to Romans chapter 9. When God made the promise in Genesis chapter 3.15 that he would use the seed of Eve to crush the head of Satan who would bruise the heel of Messiah, when God made that promise, it was not dependent upon Eve's faithless to have babies. It wasn't dependent upon the faithless of Noah who was found grace in God's eyes and was righteous and saved his family. It wasn't dependent upon the faith of Abraham that he would leave Haran and do everything God had called him to do. And it wasn't dependent upon the faith of Abraham to have children. It wasn't dependent upon the faith of Sarah to instruct their children. It wasn't dependent upon the faith of Isaac, who we're going to be looking at, to be faithful in everything that he did or everyone previously had did. This was God's sovereign decree that he chose to be glorified in calling people to himself and saving them, his elect. And so Romans chapter 9 is a beautiful portion of scripture if you can humbly hear what it says. If not, you hate this chapter. Raise your hands if the first time you read this chapter, you're like, I don't think this belongs in the Bible. <laughs> I did. I know when I was 14 years old, I got saved. I read the scripture. I came into this. I'm like, this can't be saying what I think it's saying. And so for a good 20 years, I wrestled with it and fought against it. You know, And then all of a sudden, you go, oh, okay, I guess my concept of who God is is not quite who God truly is. It's an American concept where the idea of the freedom of my will and our freedom is so much greater than anything else. The whole universe surrounds my ability to have free will, despite the fact that I'm a sinner and I'm completely enslaved to it. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 9 briefly. I gave a little bit longer introduction than I wanted to, but you know, Romans 29, or 9 is just an awesome chapter. But let's look at Romans chapter 9. And starting in um, <clears throat> verse, for context, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Jesus is the word of God. He's the Logos. He has not failed. He will not fail. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So just because physically you might be a Jew, you're not actually spiritually a Jew. And then look at, here we go. We're going to mention again, this is the guy we're going to talk about today in 27. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived, Rebekah is is Isaac's wife, uh, though they were, sorry, Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Though they were not yet born, He's talking about the twins here. Though these twins in her womb were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I have hated. 
What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so that he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now let's go to Genesis 27. Why did I go there? Well, I'm going to give you a brief reason why. When we see this chapter, we're going to find something it appears to be odd. What happens is uh, Jacob is going to bestow a blessing upon his younger son unknowingly and bless him with so many things. And this blessing that he gives them is actually the work of God himself. It's not just merely a man saying, I'm giving you stuff. This is actually God speaking through Abraham. I mean, excuse me, through Jacob, through his prophet here. And we're going to see uh, the older one, which is, of course, Esau, wanting this blessing, and he can't get it. And in this instance, we see God's sovereign hand working through Jacob, whom he has chosen. And also, we see Esau, who hated God, and he rejected the promises that he could have had, the birthright that he could have had that was rightfully his, being the firstborn, that he sold for a pot of beans, if you remember. We looked at it in Genesis 25. He rejected all the blessings of the spiritual blessings that God could have given him. And so God has chosen that it was his purpose for his glory to work through Jacob rather than Esau. Going back to what I had said earlier, all of these things are not dependent upon man's will, but upon God's will. And so we have to see the scriptures. You guys are familiar with many of these things, I know. But we've got to remember when we open the word of God, we're allowing God's word to speak to us clearly what it's saying, not what we want it to say, and not what we want to hear with our ears that are subject to the flesh and subject to sin, want to hear. And so we're going to look at these things and see, look, God is sovereign over all of it. He's sovereign even over the choices, that sinful choices that men make of their free will, their free will being in bondage to sin still, but their choice to sin as much as they want. And God's like, God uses that and says, I'm going to choose that. He uses the decisions of Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Rebekah, the whole nine. He uses all their sinful choices. He does not cause them to sin. He doesn't make them sin, but they choose of their own will in bondage to it to pursue that flesh. Now, the beauty of it is when Christ because he saved us because we've been elect, we have a new will when we're born again. So we can choose to follow God, but we can also choose to sin as well. And so we're going to look at all these circumstances and see how God works. So sovereignly, he was going to receive glory. Sovereignly, it was his joy to save each and every individual here who by faith trusts in Jesus, right? It's so good to know that there is zero chance that the enemy has to separate us from the love of God. Romans goes into that extensively. Nothing shall separate us from love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor breadth, nor width, nor demons, nor powers, and nothing. Nothing can stop the love that Christ has given us. And so let's look here now in chapter 27, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> um, lot to get through here. Um, I don't have the time on me. What, what time did we start recording, Tim? 11 minutes ago. 11. Okay. I want to keep an eye on time. There's a lot to go through. So, 
Genesis chapter 27. We're actually going to go back a couple of verses to Genesis chapter 26. Tim gratefully left the last two verses for me to wrap it into. I was coming up with some insult because you insulted me last week, Tim, but I was convicted by the Spirit of God not to do so. So you can, you can still in your sin. I'm not going to cast dispersions upon your lack of character today. So, <laughs> okay, so verse 34 of chapter 26. Now, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beriah the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of, excuse me, of Elon the Hittite, and they, look at this verse, they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So here we go again. Now, these guys are so old when they get married. It's crazy. And Jacob doesn't get married until a few decades after his brother Esau does. So he's 40 years old when Esau gets married, and he picks up two Hittite chicks. And they were not good for his marriage, not good for relationship. It was very impulsive. Now, this is very characteristic of Esau. We see Esau just being so impulsive, just like this testosterone-filled guy who's making impulsive decisions all the time. And uh, so he probably makes this impulsive decision. He rejects the wisdom of his, his, uh, his grandfather, Abraham, who set up a, a, a good um, wife for, for, for Jacob, for Isaac, excuse me, for Isaac. So anyway, we start, this starts off with this, this impulsive and poorly a fleshly-minded desire to marry Hittites, Hittite women who were very much steeped in, in uh, uh, polytheism and all kinds of idol worship. Now, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 27, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my Death. Now, at this point, um, Isaac is 137 years old. Okay, so he lives to be quite old. The old age of these guys is still continuing, but he does not die till actually 43 years after this fact. So he lives to be 180. But he had been afflicted with some stuff, so he's losing his eyesight. We'll, we'll learn about that. And he had all kinds of problems, and he actually, um, his brother, who is who is Isaac's brother, if you remember. Ishmael, right? Ishmael had died at the same age 14, early, 14 years earlier. So he could have been flashing back to his brother's death and thinking, I'm probably going to die like my brother soon. So here the, the, the scene gets set up. <clears throat> Isaac, older, he's falling apart. His body's just breaking down. He thinks he's going to die soon. And so he calls, Ish, or he calls uh, Esau over. And he says in verse Two. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. So here he is. He's about, he thinks he's going to die, even though he's got, you know, another 43 years to live. And he says, um, he says to Esau, give me the wild game that I love so much. And then in verse 5, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob. Now, interestingly enough, look, look what it says here in verse 6. Rebekah said to her son Jacob because Esau was her son as well. 
Okay, so we see the favoritism that the scripture clearly said was evident in chapter 25 and alluded to in chapter 26 is coming back now. So Rebecca loves her son Jacob more than she loves her son Esau. And she sees that her husband Isaac is going to pass on all the blessings unto her old, the other son, obviously Esau. And this has got her pretty riled up. And so we're going to see this scene here as Rebecca be begins to try to move behind the scenes and use all this subterfuge and deceit and lies to try to get this blessing that only Isaac can give by laying out of hands, right? Now, if you remember in chapter 25, when Rebecca was pregnant with Esau and with, Jake, with Jacob, um, they were fighting in the womb and God prophesies. And he says, there are two nations in your womb. And it goes on to say that the younger, the, the older or the younger, excuse me, the older will serve the younger. And the younger is the one who comes out second and grabs his brother by the heel. Remember, that's why we get the word uh, heel catcher here. Uh, Jacob's name is heel catcher or supplanter. And so God promises Rebecca, and I did make a point in that chapter to uh, a, a practical point, which is this, is that we see God speaking to people it was clear in their ears. It wasn't, I feel God leading me to believe this, or I sense God is telling me this. And I made a point of really hammering that home because of the, the uh, rampant destruction that charismaticism is causing in the church today. It's rampant. And so she hears clearly God's voice of prophecy, okay? This was him speaking to her directly. Undoubtedly, this conversation would have been heard or at least spoken of with dad, with Isaac. And so Isaac would have known that Jacob was going to receive the blessing and that his older brother, Esau, was going to serve his, his younger brother, Jacob. And so this was clear. God made it clear to them. So now we're looking decades into the future, okay? And so here we have Isaac wanting to bestow a blessing upon his favorite son because he liked meat <laughs> and he liked his tough son. He didn't like the mama's boy, okay? And Jacob was the mama's boy. And we're going to see this evident in the scripture as Jacob is listening to his mother's voice, which is pathetic. <laughs> but this is what takes place. So she's hearing this conversation. She knows what Isaac is about to do, and she makes her move. So here, let's get back to the text now. Rebecca, in verse 6, said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food. Or excuse me. <clears throat> I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may, that I may eat it and bless the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey whose voice? My voice as I command you. So here, Rebecca is telling her son, her favorite son, who she loves, listen to me. Notice it's not listen to God's voice. Now, if she would have trusted and rested in God's promises, which is what we read in Hebrews, to rest in the Lord because it's our Sabbath rest. He's accomplished all this work for us. If he promised something's going to happen, it's going to happen. The contrast is this, is that she has some kind of belief that this is going to happen, but she believes she has to fight and strive to get God's will accomplished in her life. And she's on this hamster wheel we're going to see. So she says, listen, obey my voice. In other words, don't rest in the voice of God, but just do what I'm telling you to do. She says, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock 
and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man like Tim. And I, <laughs> and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall be seen to be mocking him and then bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only, she says again, obey my voice. Go, bring them to me. Now notice the response of Jacob. Do you know what is missing in Jacob's response when he says to his mother? He says to her, basically, I'm going to get found out. I might get busted. There is no mention of, I can't lie to my father. It's just not honoring my father and my father. I'm not going to sin against my God this way. He's implicit in the plot with his mother, and there is no indication here that he's walking by faith. And yet we see Isaac mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 for trusting the promises of God, just like we see Lot mentioned, just like we see Samson mentioned. Again, what's this talking, what's this talking about? It's God's sovereign work to do this to save people. It's the sovereign election, and it's independent of the faithfulness of man. Now, of course, I'm not dismissing the importance of our faithfulness to the conviction of God's spirit and the faithfulness to obey God's voice in the word because we're called to do that. But again, this chapter's focus is like God's going to accomplish something. And despite the faithlessness of man, because again, every single action we see in this chapter is one that is motivated out of fear, faithlessness, and sin, and ambition. Every single person. It's crazy. So let's continue in this text. So here we see the pathetic action of Jacob following his mother's voice. And so he went and took them, and he brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part, smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went to his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who, who are you, my son? So he doesn't know if it's Jacob or it's Esau. So Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Comes right out and lies. And this is the, the first, this is like kind of uh, sin um, 1.2, right? Because the first sin was like, he starts off by agreeing to be complicit in his mother's actions and taking this blessing. And then he he's, doesn't mention any part about sin taking place in this act of deceit. Now he's fully embracing this. He's fully lying straight out and saying, I am your son Esau. Complete lie. And this is the pattern of sin, right? Now, we can't look at Isaac here and not look at ourselves, right? Are we going to obey the voice of the flesh, which in this instance is characterized by Rebecca, or do we listen to the word of God? Do we listen to the voice of God himself speaking to us? Now, we do that oftentimes daily. Where we choose to pursue the voice of our flesh, which says, oh, just a little half-truth here is okay. Just a little bit of lie here is okay. 
You can cheat here. You know, you can, you can look at this image on the screen here. She's, she's got most of her clothes on. You know, you can go in this direction. But when you begin to compromise slowly every day, that compromise is going to grow and grow and grow. And this is what we see happening in this instance. There is a time here in this instance where Jacob says to his son, who are you, my son? This is the Spirit's work of bringing conviction and setting boundaries. Nate's teaching last week was great about love being this rushing water, but it's got boundaries set. And love without wisdom is a tort as could be a mess. But God has set boundaries. And here, the love of a father and a son is set among boundaries. The boundaries were already set. And the Holy Spirit is actually convicting um, Jacob here, right? It's convicting him. And he's saying, are you going to actually lie to your father? We can do the same thing. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you're tempted to sin? And then suddenly the circumstances of that temptation grow to where you're practically in the real world right here. Now, what's your choice? What are you going to do? And God makes it really plain to us. And there's a moment in your flesh where you're battling. The Spirit of God is there to give you the power to overcome the sin, but your flesh wants it bad. And you can wrestle back and forth. And what do you do? You choose to sin. You choose your flesh. And you know what happens? You're going to reap the whirlwind. Make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters. As believers, we will reap the consequence of chasing our sin. Okay, just because we're born again does not mean you're not going to reap the consequence. We're going to read the consequences in a moment. So he he lies to his father. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He's talking about how did you how did you go out so quickly, kill a wild game, dress it, and cook it? So Jacob knows this is like this is kind of odd that you don't, you know, there's weird circumstances going on here. This is another opportunity that the Holy Spirit provides for Jacob to repent. How is it that you found it so quickly? Now he's got to cover up more lies. And he's gonna go further in covering up more lies. And then he says, and he answers, because, now this is where it gets really, really, really bad. He answered and said, because the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh, your God, granted me success. This is really, really bad. So first of all, he kind of takes his, the onus of his relationship with Yahweh, places it on the shelf, and says, it's not my God, it's your God. And your God has granted me success. Now he's blaspheming God. Now he has taken God's name, Yahweh's name in vain. And he is saying completely a wholesale lie that I am giving an imprimatur on my actions. I'm justifying my actions because look, God has done this for me. Look at my success. My success is an indicator that God has told me or has given me this, this advantage. So not only is he, he, he starts with this sin, it gets worse to where he's in utter blasphemy. And I know I've brought this before, and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> we cannot say God told me this unless the word of God says it. This is what's happening. In the church today, it is rampant. Guys, we have to, why do I say this to you guys so much? Well, because there's just a few, few of us here, right? And I'm hopefully 
Um, what God desires to do is to bless us through the study of his word so that all of you guys can carry sound doctrine to wherever you are, in your workplaces, on your websites, on your social media accounts. So when this stuff comes up and you've got friends that say, God told me thus and such, you can say, no, he has not. <laughs> this is why. Because of the rampant sin and the blasphemy that takes place because of it. And it just rips people off of the joy and the rest in Christ, and it brings an absolute reproach against God when you've got Christians saying the most outlandish things, the most outlandish things. And I'm not going to go down the route of all the outlandish things that happens in, in the current church, but there was a recent instance last week in which one of Jared's friends had interaction with somebody who was so deceived into thinking, um, just crazy stuff. I won't get into details about it, but really burdens me uh, of these things, you know, and it's just off the wall. And, as you guys as believers, ideally, will have the maturity when another Christian says that and says, no, stop. Let's look what the word of God says. Okay, rest. So here he, he's blaspheming God, claiming that God has done something for him. It's an out and out lie. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Here we have the Holy Spirit again. God's grace and his mercy and his conviction is so good. His discipline is so good. The Bible says in Revelation and Hebrews that God chastises those whom he loves. And if you're not chastised of the Lord, the King James says you're a bastard. That's the old word for it. Might as well use it. That you're a bastard. You're no child of God whatsoever. And here we see the beauty of God's grace and his mercy. If you are not busted for your sin, none of us, if we're not busted for our sin, none of us will repent. Right? If you get away with lies all the time, if you get away with all kinds of sin and you don't pay the consequence, you're going to continue to pursue that. And so here God is like, oh, you know, Jacob, stop. Here's another opportunity. Don't you feel guilty? And you've got to believe that Jacob was cut to the heart. He continued to lie for his father, who has done nothing but take care of him all of his life. And just has really blessed this, this son. And so he lies. He wants, this, he wants this blessing, all of the land promises and the money and everything else. And in verse 25, then he said, uh, then he said, bring it near to me that, that I may eat of my son's game and then bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. <laughs> and, and so he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. And then he blessed him. So here we see this betrayal with a kiss. Remind you of anything else? Judas. Judas. And he says that he told the, 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 uh, the guards who are coming to arrest Jesus, the one whom I kiss, he's the one you're looking for. So he approaches him, our Messiah, our God, and kisses him and says, this is the one you, you want. And he was taken. And so here we see this betrayal by a kiss. Here we see this compromise of brother, of brother Jacob as he continues down this path of sin. Again, brothers and sisters, I need to ask you, are you listening to God's word, to the voice of God in the scriptures, to the conviction of spirit, his spirit by our conscience? Or are you in a place 
where possibly you have hardened your heart. The scripture says, harden not your heart in the days of provocation, as the Jews did in the wilderness, as Hebrews. The scripture also says that we can harden our heart as with seared with a hot iron so that we don't have remorse over our sin. If we continue sinning, and a lot of times in particular, easily besetting sin that holds on to us, that weighs us down so we can't run the race that's set before us, like it says in Hebrews, we can go back to that sin over and over and over again. And we may not have the deep heart conviction where it's like an emotional thing because we've begun to harden our heart and seared it. Now, if you're in that position, it doesn't mean that you can't ever experience that emotional aspect of the conviction of sin. But you've got just to, you have to do what's right. That means I don't feel necessarily bad about this, but the word of God says I must stop. And so I'm going to obey the voice of God and I'm going to stop this sin. I'm going to stop pursuing it. And eventually what happens is your heart gets softened by the spirit of God. And, and then you experience deep conviction in an emotional sense later on. And so here we have um, this brother, our brother, Jacob, he kisses his father. He's close to him, so close that Isaac smells the garments of his brother, who have no doubt been filled with the smoke of a wonderful barbecue <laughs> and the smoke of the field. And different from uh, Jacob, who didn't spend time hunting and, and everything else. So he blesses him. And he says, now here we see this, this um, prayer and this prophecy that Jacob gives, excuse me, that Isaac gives over Jacob. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And he gets a little bit poetic here. And so he's speaking of um, a field that the Lord has blessed. So he's speaking, of, it's this, this um, picture we have of the Lord as our shepherd. Psalm 23, right? Where the Lord is our shepherd and bringing us to green pastures and still waters and the valley of the shadow of death without fear. And he says, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine, and let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you, and be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you, and cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, as Isaac is doing this, Let's remember something. Isaac is fully, is fully cognizant of the fact that God was going to bless Jacob, not Esau. So Isaac is actually in disobedience, uh, disobedience against God. Not only was the promise that God had spoken to Rebekah while she was pregnant, that Jacob was, is the promised son to receive all the inheritance, but also he would have known that Jacob did a crazy deal for the, and gave his brother beans in exchange for the birthright, he knew what had taken place. He knew this. And yet Isaac is continuing to sin against God in this instance. And he's invoking the blessing of God in the midst of his complete disobedience against God. And yet in all of this, God is sovereign over it. How can a man put a blessing on his son and say, God is blessing you. God's going to give you this. He's speaking prophetic, prophetically over someone who he doesn't even know who it is. It's just such a, one of the craziest, in my opinion, aspects of Scripture. The guy's going to bless somebody, and this individual doing the blessing, being <clears throat> Isaac over Jacob, completely independent of knowing what's happening. And so God's will is going to be accomplished. And to think that 
Isaac thought he could successfully overthrow God's will. That is insane. So he knows that God was going to bless the younger brother, and yet he continues in this, in this prayer. And look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And so he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Again, the, the, the language here, when um, Esau says his son's game, he recognizes his place of honor with his father, how his father preferred him over his brother, that you may bless me. Now, let's remember this. <laughs> Esau was in the same position as Esau, excuse me, in the same position of Isaac, the same position of Jacob, and the same position of Rebekah. They all knew who God was going to give the blessing to. Now, we read in Hebrews that Esau despised his birthright and got rid of it for some beans, as we read, and didn't care. Again, this is part of his impulsive nature. At one moment, I don't care if I starve. I don't care about this birthright. I'm going to starve to death. Give me some beans. Okay? And, but he was so impulsive, and it was also displayed as the women he chose, the Hittites, right? He was so a man of the flesh that he's like, I don't believe, I'm not going to believe that promise that my brother is going to take it from me. So he is uh, still going on this idea that he can take his father's blessings. So he's a man of the flesh. He's not walking in faith in any way, shape, or form. And so he wants this blessing. So back to verse 33 again. Then, or excuse me, verse 32. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn. Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? He's, he's so angry. And ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. So here he's totally upset. He's like, who was this? Who impersonated you? Interesting, interestingly enough, we don't see him right away jump to the conclusion that it was his brother. I don't think he possibly could have imagined that his, his other son would have done this, even though his name was deceiver, supplanter, and heel catcher. So he's like, who did this? Who stole this blessing? And what's unique about this is interesting because this blessing could not be removed. It, it wasn't, this is the whole interesting sovereign aspect of this. There is something deeply prophetic about what um, Isaac was bestowing upon this man whom he spoke over. And so he was moved to know there was something really unique about the way he was speaking prophetically, this blessing over him. <clears throat> as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. So at some point, he comes to the conclusion it was the deceiver. <laughs> it was Jacob. And then verse 36, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Now, is that true? Not even close. Not even close. But he is some, somehow found some way to justify his anger and make it appear righteous. Like, he's the evil one. He stole it from me. This is supposed to go to me. God established it. I'm the firstborn. 
He dealed away his birthright, man. He sold it for beans. Okay? It was not his place. It wasn't stolen from him. He knows what God had prophesied to Rebecca in the womb. He's rejecting the yoke of God's word and the beautiful yoke that keeps us in line to, in the field that God has purposed for us. As so he's trying to throw this yoke of the sovereignty of God off of him and trying to be righteous by saying, I can't believe the sin that he committed. And then in verse in the last part of this verse, then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? So he's like, I, I, can't, I don't know what to do. I've given him all these blessings. He's at this, you, you almost hear in this context, this guy, Isaac, is upset. He's shaking violently. I can't believe done this. And then suddenly comes the realization, ah, it's the son of promise. It's almost to me, I hope I'm not reading it too much, but Isaac just kind of throws up his hands and says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I can't, I can't fight God's sovereignty. He had been probably trying to fight this idea of Jacob being the firstborn all of his life, all these years. And then suddenly, he comes to the realization, in decades, God somehow twisted my, not twisted, but turned my words around where I thought I was bringing a blessing to the son of the flesh, basically, like Ishmael. I thought I was giving this authority and all these blessings on him, and yet God had turned the situation around for God's glory and for the good of his people, for his elect. And this is what God does with our lives. We can pursue our flesh and we will reap the whirlwind. Don't get me wrong. But God is so sovereign, even over our sinful desires and our sinful wishes and the pursuit of things that will cause destruction and even the pursuit of things that will cause people to blaspheme God's name because of the sin that we've committed in the church. And God somehow still turns it around that he receives the glory and that oftentimes we will be blessed in that sin. Have you guys been in a position where you sin wretchedly against the Lord and all of a sudden you open your eyes and there's some unique blessing that God has for you and the conviction is even worse, right? It's like, oh my Lord, I can't keep up with your grace. I can't keep up with your mercy. I, Renee and I often talk, and if I get personal for a moment, about the grace. Oh darn, I'm starting to get weepy already. You guys know me. <laughs> um, but uh <clears throat> Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but no, the, the, with the grace oh, that we have and the mercy that God has bestowed to us with children who are walking with Jesus and, and in-laws who love Jesus and they're training their children in the way of the Lord. And, it, it's, um, and it's not because of our faithfulness. We've sinned way more frequently than we've been faithful. And we sit there and, and I'm just like, oh, God, I you're so good to me. And, and I pray that we could rest in that when we bring conviction of sin, when we choose to o obey our, the, our flesh, we, we choose to listen to Satan and all of the lies of the enemy, that when we do that and we chase our sin and that the Holy Spirit is so faithful to bring conviction, to bring these borders and say, don't go there, don't go here. And yet we fight against it and fight against it. We finally come to a place where it seems like uh, <clears throat> Isaac is at right now. Just kind of like, I can't fight against God anymore. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to rest in the promises. And so we hear Isaac. And Isaac says to, in verse 37, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, 
Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. This weeping was not the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. This was the sorrow of man. I am not going to get what I want. But we don't see any accompanying actions that show he was repentant. So he's weeping for all the problems that he caused. And he's weeping because he's reaping what he has sown. And he is not repentant. First, let's look what Isaac says. And then Isaac, his father answered and said to him, and he speaks prophetically, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. And by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So as Isaac begins to pray and, and, and speak a blessing over the life of Esau, it probably doesn't come out exactly like he had intended, like he wanted for sure. And here we see again God's sovereign work. He begins to declare a judgment against Esau. I mean, can you imagine the comfort? My father, have any blessing to give me? And he reaches out to pray over him, and suddenly a pronouncement of judgment comes against him. But even in this pronouncement of judgment, there's grace and there's some mercy there. Because the last part of this prayer, this prophecy is, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. <clears throat> the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. The Edomites caused problems with the Jews for hundreds of years. And there were times in which the Edomites had um, allied themselves with the enemies of Israel. And they joined up and they, uh, they plagued Israel. Um, but for the most part, the Edom Edomites were under the... the uh, <coughs> The, the yoke of the Israelites. But on occasion, there are a few spots here and there where they were not under their rule, but it was the exception. And this is a prophecy of that. And now Esau, verse 41, hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, now look at this. Okay, so obviously what's happening is this jealousy is set in upon Jacob. And this is not conviction of sin again. This is just this anger, this jealousy that comes out. Now here, going back just a moment, this judgment, this prophecy that um, Isaac was bringing to Esau could have been turned around. If Esau would have heard this prophecy and said, oh, my sins found me out. I'm going to be judged. My descendants are going to be judged. He had the opportunity to just sit down, to put his knees to the ground and to repent before the Lord and enjoy the blessing of forgiveness. But instead... He hardened his heart even further. The jealousy rises up inside of him. And he knows, this is interesting, because notice, he recognizes what's being said is true. So often in Scripture, we see even the unsaved recognize the truth of Scripture, recognize the truth of God, and they can't fight against the truth, but they're mad that the truth is true. And so they rebel against truth ultimately. Can we not see that expressed in the Western culture of the globe today? Obviously, it's manifest most greatly in the transgressor movement, right? The transgressors are, are just absolutely denying truth, and they're mad because God created them biologically to give him glory. They're actually mad about it. And then they will cause us to try to feel ashamed or try to gaslight us and to say we're crazy for believing that men should not be in women's restrooms. I'm sure you probably saw the video last week of the guy who was completely naked in the woman's room in California at the YMCA, called the police. You know what the police said? There's nothing we can do. A man was literally 
harassing women naked in a women's room. And the police said, there's nothing we can do about it. So this is, um, this is exactly where this guy was, the truth. He wasn't even denying the truth. It was so clear. And he's madding. He's angry anyway. And so look at the other part of this verse. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Wow, that's heavy. Holy smokes. He's going to kill his brother because his brother's got more stuff than him. That is unbelievable. That is I pray that none of you brothers kill your sisters or brothers, okay? So, yeah. <laughs> Luke, Emily, you know, I'm praying for you, okay? Emily, if you see that, you know, the anger in your brother's eyes, run. I'm not sure where he's at right now. But, no, I'm like, good. But so literally, this, this is how crazy it is. So his brother wants to kill him. Verse 42, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. He draws comfort in his ability to murder his brother. What a paradoxical situation this is. I'm going to feel so much better when I can cut his head off. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, the depravity of sin, man. This guy goes from selling his birthright and that smallish, smallish compromise to I'm going to kill him and I'm going to feel good about it. Now, therefore, my son, so here we see um, <clears throat> uh, Rebecca again. Um, in this context, we don't hear any of the voice of God. We don't hear any encouragement from God. We don't have any conviction upon these individuals' lives. And we see Rebecca constantly reacting to outside circumstances instead of walking in faith. Same thing with Jacob. Same thing with Esau. Same thing with Isaac. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's Fury turns away. Now, by God's grace, his fury does turn away, but it's, it's 40 years later in Genesis chapter 33 that they reconcile. And actually Esau falls on his brother's neck and weeps bitterly because of the situation for four decades of anger. That's pretty, pretty awesome. But anyway, so until your brother's wrath turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. <laughs> what personal pronoun is there? He forgets what you have done to him. I circled that in my Bible because I kind of chuckled. I'm like, Becca, come on. Sister, take some accountability here. You <laughs> Obey my voice. Obey my voice. Here, put on this robe. Here, take this, this coat. Take this, put it on your arms. Slay the animal. She's got this whole thing set up. And then she's like, oh boy, what a mess you got yourself into. <laughs> it's like, wow. It does harken us back to the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam blamed the wife, blamed Eve. It's the woman you gave me. <laughs> yeah, you gave her to me, God. That was your decision to, to allow her to, to cheat me you know, out of eternal life. And so we see the same thing. It's it, placing the blame on somebody else. So, so she says that you have done to, to him. Then I will send and bring you. From there, <clears throat> then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? So she's thinking, you know, of course, God, after the flood, told Noah and instituted capital punishment. If a life is taken, then a life shall be given. So she's thinking, okay, your brother, being the hunter that he is, is going to get you with an arrow. You're dead. You have no choice of getting out of this, kids. You better run. But the thought that she has here is to uh, now my other son is going to be, he should be stoned to death. Because of this sin of murder, 
So she's thinking, I'm going to lose both my sons. Let's, you just got to go to my uncle Laban in Haran. I mean, my brother Laban. No, my uncle. And um, no, my brother, sorry. <laughs> yeah, get my familial relations confused. So then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life. This is a, yeah. then Rebecca said to Isaac. So after the situation kind of like takes place, Rebecca's getting them out of the house. And then the uncomfortable conversation <laughs> takes place between Becca and Isaac. Can you imagine this conversation between Becca and her husband, Rebecca and her husband? Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry about that, hubby. <laughs> I guess I made a couple of missteps, you know. The, so then Rebecca says to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Interesting place to conclude this chapter because it started out with Esau picking up women that made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Um, so an incredible story of dysfunction, a story of God's voice not being heard in this chapter. Of course, he was clearly heard decades earlier when he spoke to Becca where the kids were in the womb. And this is really we have to see ourselves. Where are we in this in this story, guys? Where are we in this? Where are we in this account? Where are we in our walk where we're making compromises presently by not being faithful to the Lord? Where are we in sin where we're committing sin against God in the sense that we're chasing our sin and we're pursuing it for the pleasure of it? It's only good for a season, but their end brings death. And where are we in the midst of sin where we're omitting sin, where we're not faithful? And preaching the gospel. Where we're not faithful in saying hard things to our brothers and sisters that need to be said graciously and kindly. Where are we in not being faithful in so many other things we've been called to do in prayer? You know, in the reading of the word. How many of us are faithful in our devotional life and hearing God's voice in the word of God? You know, what are we doing that's causing us to be placed in a position where we're going to be worshiping ourselves and reaping the whirlwind? Again, chapter 26 ended with Esau's decision to pursue the Hittite women. And it ends with the ramifications, probably, of his decision to do so. Because much of our Christian walk is going to be determined by the company we keep. And that's why Hebrews says that we're supposed to be fellowshipping all together, and the more so as you see the day of Christ approaching. And this is, obviously, our fellowship began because of the sin against that, because the church is saying, no, you can't meet, because Trump said not to, <laughs> or Cuomo said not to. And so when we are in compromise, <clears throat> compromise is so much easier when we are outside of a, of a connected body of believers who recognize, recognize our sin, right? But we're going to also challenge each other to live godly, challenge each other to repent of sin. We do it in the most kind, gracious way we possibly can. But if we're going to compromise by pursuing the world with Hittite women, and all the compromises that are in existence, you're going to reap the whirlwind. So let's, um, let's close in prayer in a moment here. I don't want to leave us with a the, with the compromise, but uh, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what work he did to set us free from this. Right? So in the sovereignty of God and the promises that he established, Jesus came in due time, born of a virgin, lived the perfect life that we could never live. Perfectly honoring the God, honoring God. The perfect Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world was on the cross, took God's wrath that we deserve because of our compromise that we may have sinned in this morning, rose from the dead, 
and lives victoriously, interceding for us. And as he went away, he said, I'm giving the spirit to you, this place of spirit in our hearts where we've been sealed so that we don't have to be led completely by our flesh as Esau was. Or in these instances, just pursue the sin of Jacob, Esau, and Isaac, and, and Rebecca. And so it is good that we serve a Jesus, uh, serve a God, serve Yahweh, who loves us so much, the triune work of God, and saving us, filling us with the Spirit, and causing us to give us power to resist sin, and to actually reap good seeds to receive a good harvest. So let's, let's pray that the Lord does that in our lives and continues that today. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the great work you've done. We thank you for the warning that this uh, passage of Scripture gives us. It's, uh, it's uh, just the result of this, and to see these interpersonal relationships and covering for sin and chasing after ambition and, and being led uh, by fear instead of faith and, and all of the compromise. I pray that you would keep us from it. I pray that we would look unto you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We thank you for your mercy and your love, your grace, your goodness and kindness. I pray that it would be exhibited in our lives to the fruit of the Spirit, that we wouldn't pursue the works of the flesh, which are all sorts of problems. But Lord, that throughout the day today, throughout our week, our lives, that we would take great joy in dying to self and mortifying the deeds of the flesh and crucifying, Lord, our members. We pray that you would continue to bless us this day. As we fellowship with one another, we ask and pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.